Hey, everyone, and welcome to another fantastic episode of DLN Extend. I know it's going to sound like we're on Hardware Addicts. That's where you'll find me every two weeks. But this is, for certain, DLN Extend, and it's time to discuss affordable Linux hardware. This episode of Deal and Extend is brought to you by DigitalOcean and Bitwarden. Welcome to episode 34 of Deal and Extend. Deal and Extend is a community-powered podcast. We take conversations from around the community on the discourse, forums, telegram groups, discord server, and so much more. We also take topics from other shows and give you our spin on them. Hey guys, I'm uh, just outside of Winnipeg. I think I just might actually catch a Snorlax. I'm told they're slow and easy to wrangle. I'll let you know how it goes. So uh, talk to you next week. This week, we have my fantastic co-host, Matt, and all of his crazy hardware glory. And joining us this week is Jason. We are so excited to have you, Jason. All of your super awesome writing powers on Front Page Linux. And we can't forget about Linux for everyone. What have you been up to this week? I well, you, that was a great intro because I've been doing a lot of front page <laughs> Linux stuff. Uh, we we really want to take front page Linux and turn it into a professional, entertaining, informative source for all things Linux, whether that's you know guides, tutorials, video, or just straight news. Uh, so we've been working with a lot of members of the community, honing their skills a bit. Uh, Michael and I have been bouncing off of each other, editing, and uh, you know he's doing featured images, and I'm doing headlines and formatting, and it's been a lot of fun. And I've been uh, writing a few articles here and there, and it's got some really good momentum. So we're hoping to um, to just take it into the stratosphere over the next couple months. So shameless plug, I guess, if you're, um, if you're uh, interested in writing up Linux news or guides or tutorials, you just have some interesting stories to tell, uh, reach out to me or Michael and maybe we can get something published. That sounds absolutely fantastic. I know there have been some amazing articles on front page Linux. It's not something I frequent enough. I need to add it to my daily reading load because you guys are posting some really cool things over there. Even even if you took all of that away and you just had Linux++, I mean, that alone is like a huge hub of information and interviews. And he's basically writing a magazine on his own. And every time that comes out, it is just it is just such a blast of awesome, you know, Linux news. And, well, and uh, the deep dives that he goes into on certain topics is really cool. But yeah, like the, the recent one where he did like the entire history of Linux. That was really in-depth, really good. I love long reads like that where you can just, okay, I'm going to get a cup of coffee and this is what I'm doing for the next 20 minutes as I am just feeding my brains, right? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> to steal dust. That one's for you, Ryan. <laughs> anyway, enough about me. What's up with you, Matt? I have been uh, working on various content for certain people that are actually guest hosting. That would be you, Jason, in fact. <laughs> um, we got some interesting stuff in the works. Uh, I'm going to be working on a collaborative video, shall we say. Um, I'm not sure when that one's going to be out. That might take a little bit. That uh, relies on some other people. But I also got some other content coming down the way. But I've also been working with the Pine Phone, and that's been an interesting experiment. I tried the 13-image ISO that 
someone made really cool project, little finicky with actually booting into some of the ISOs. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't, but it gave me a chance to actually try some of the ones that I had wanted to try. So like I tried like uh, LunaOS, which is a web, the open source version of WebOS. Yeah, that's continuation. And Sailfish OS. Sailfish is really cool. Um, it's got that kind of Windows phone vibe, but mixed with like an Android kind of flavor. It's, it's, it's interesting on how it operates. The one I really want to see is like, not going to lie, LunaOS because I'm just a WebOS fanboy and I'll be the first to admit that. I need to get some stickers for that phone because <laughs> as much as I like that back and I love the Powered by Linux on the bottom of it, I want some DLN Extend stickers or some Destination Linux stickers or Linux for Everyone stickers on the back of that phone too. Or maybe a laptop. If only there was a place where people could buy all of the stickers from the Destination Linux network. I think we have a store, don't we, Wendy? I believe we do. And there is a sheet of stickers that you can get that have Destination Linux network shows on them. So go get them. Yeah, absolutely. I'm excited about these. I have a a cup. It's a stainless steel cup that I use for water and I take with me just about anywhere. And it's got a lot of stickers on it. And the best thing about these stickers is they're smaller so it can fill in some of the gaps that are missing on my mug so I can have that much more fun with something that I take with me everywhere. Exactly. So, Wendy, what have you been up to, though? It has been an adventure in headsets at around our house again. So if you remember previously, I got my days pierced, which means I couldn't wear my earbuds and got a really nice set of over-the-ear headphones. They've been fantastic, but I've been missing the earbuds, right? I've got four kids. We're doing stuff around. The headphones are super comfortable, but it's hard to listen to stuff and hear what the kids are doing. So I'm happy to say that my left ear is now less angry, so I can put an earbud in on that side. But my husband broke his Bluetooth headset that he wears around work all the time. You know, that's how he takes phone calls when he's driving or if he's working on something, he can take phone calls and from the the Bluetooth headset. His broke and we ordered him another pair. Nothing super expensive because as we've talked about before, he is extremely hard on all hardware extremely hard on all hardware. So we don't want an expensive expensive pair of headphones that he's taking in the dirt and grime and grease of working outside. And the it was the second day he had them and he hands me his headset and his phone and says, can you make these work better? So he was mowing the lawn and the phone was in his pocket and the headset kept disconnecting. And I'm like, well, you know, I don't know that there's anything that I can do to fix them. And I set his phone down on the counter and started the book he was listening to and walked mostly right around the house. And it was not a problem. And then my daughter took him and she has, you know, her phone sitting on the counter and she's walking around the house listening to her music. Not an issue. And my poor husband, it's like his grandpa couldn't wear a watch because just the way the electricity works in his body, he would kill watches. And my husband has something of the same thing where he can wear a watch. It doesn't kill them, but it disrupts the connection between Bluetooth signals and and that kind of thing. He really struggles with that. So if you all also have that problem and um, you found a headset that works really good especially in the grime and grease I would love to know which one because it's quite frustrating for him to not be able to get his bluetooth headset to work and then watch somebody else walk around the house wearing it without a problem 
<laughs> I actually have a suggestion, Wendy, because I Yay. have gone through a ton of Bluetooth headphones that are very finicky with the connection, and I finally found one that I love. Awesome. JBL Live. JBL Live. JBL Live. Um, and these are, I know that a lot of our, um, our, a lot of our Linux listeners aren't necessarily into these features, but it does also include Google Assistant and Alexa by just kind of tapping the left ear cup. You can get your notifications, you can call people, you can do all those Google Assistant type things. They sound great. And I have tested the connection like all through my apartment. And wherever I go in my apartment, I have not ever had a broken audio connection. I'll be talking to him and he'll start, you know, cutting out or whatever. And it's the connection issue between his phone and the headset. And it, you know, sometimes his hands are absolutely covered in grease or, you know, whatever he's doing. And so being able to get a phone call answered without having to touch his phone is extremely important. So I will definitely look into those and see what he thinks. Thank you very much for that suggestion. This episode of DLN Extended is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean offers the simplest, most developer-friendly cloud platform. It's optimized to make managing and scaling apps easy with an intuitive API, multiple storage options, integrated firewalls, load balancers, and more. DigitalOcean recently announced new features and services such as a virtual private cloud in all regions, free of charge. This lets you create multiple private networks to isolate your workloads. Container Registries is now available to all users. Easily store and manage private container images and push images seamlessly to DigitalOcean's Kubernetes. You can get all of this plus access to their world-class customer support for as low as $5 per month. Get started on DigitalOcean for free with $100 credit by going to do.co slash dln. And you can use that $100 credit for spinning up over a dozen droplets or even some monster-sized droplets for two months. Again, you can get started on DigitalOcean with a hundred dollar credit by going to do.co slash DLN. I am always looking for new recommendations, and Lenovo has now recommended 30 different laptops running Linux. This is so cool. And on their website, they have a page that is talking all about what Linux, who uses Linux, why, what are some of the popular Linux distributions. And they even answer the question on this website, are Lenovo laptops, quote unquote, certified to run Linux. It is so exciting to see such a major laptop company not only offering Linux laptop, but also offering some information to their everyday users on what Linux is and what it's used for. You know, they had made the initial offerings with, was it the P series, Jason, mostly? Like the, the, the ThinkPad P series, like their high-end workstation stuff? Yeah, the, the P1, the P53. Um, and, and this all began with a partnership with Fedora, with a trio of ThinkPad laptops. One of those has already launched. It's the X1 Carbon Gen 8. And the other two are coming very, very soon. And then about two months later, they dropped another bombshell, a much, much bigger bombshell, saying, hey, we're going to certify um, all of our workstation PCs for Red Hat Enterprise Linux and Ubuntu. And now they're taking it one step further. And this is where things get really cool to me and, and probably to a lot of enterprise customers as well. Because even though, you know, there's, there's these, even though there are these 30 or so workstation PCs that are certified for Ubuntu 20.04 LTS, they still had to be manually deployed 
to those systems. And now they're going to be preloaded on the website, sold globally. Yeah, I was going to say that that is a key thing. I don't think a lot of people understand that like this is a really big commitment. I'm going to go. I love Dell and I love Project Sputnik and all the stuff that Dell's done with it and to, to actually have an OEM, one of the first OEMs to actually push out Linux in some kind of enterprise way. Dell Checkmate, <laughs> just going to say. <laughs> and Lenovo has made commitments to you know upstream as much of the, the driver structure and all the other stuff that, from their work with Fedora that you know when you were interviewing Matthew Miller and, uh, and Mark Pearson from you know Lenovo, those... Those kind of commitments, those are those are really big commitments for a company. Like, like that that means they're throwing not just money at it, they're throwing man hours that they could be putting in something else. For me, that that's just that's exciting to see. While these Lenovo laptops are so awesome and you can get the latest hardware built into these, they can be an extreme powerhouse to get your work done. The downside is they are not budget-friendly for the average Linux user. So what are some of the hardware options that someone can get great use out of, but so much easier on the budget? Well, uh, this won't take much time (laughs) to list out. (laughs) Really short on the options list. Uh, one One of the brand new options that just came onto the market is from Slimbook. Have you guys heard of them? They're a European based Linux focused laptop company. Yeah. Yep. KDE Slimbook. Yeah. Yeah. So they, yeah, that's right. They, uh, announced the KDE Slimbook about five, six weeks ago. And now they're back with something called the Slimbook Essential. And this is a pair of 14 and 15 inch laptops that are, you know, have a nice aluminum chassis, 1080p display. They even have the the 180 degree opening angles, right? That you can just lay flat. Nice. Uh, They'll come with Intel Core i3, Core i5, or Core i7. And I think you can get up to, you know, two terabytes uh, of NVMe SSD storage and up to 32 gigabytes of RAM. And they start at about 590 US dollars. So it's not on the ultra cheap tier. But it's of, not bad for a new laptop. No, it's not. It's not at all. It's not at all. And especially for a Linux laptop. And the reason I say especially for a Linux laptop is because the, the reason that you can go and buy something like an Acer Swift 3 with similar specs for cheaper than a purpose-built Linux laptop. Acer is a massive company and they can employ economy of scale. You know, they manufacture a ton of parts, a ton of systems, and they can get all that for less money. Bulk production means that your overall parts are cheaper and then your offering in the end can be a less expensive product. Yeah, exactly. And so just a minor rant here, a minor side note. When I hear people saying, well, I'm just going to go buy a used ThinkPad with it with Windows on it, or I'm just going to go buy an Acer Swift 3 with Windows on it and put Linux on it, you're kind of, you're kind of showing the Linux hardware ecosystem that you don't want to support it, that you don't want Linux on that laptop. And so the more people that, you know, I know this is a... A big ask of many people, but the more people that can go out and actually pay that extra 50 bucks for the purpose-built Linux laptop, that's going to really help the overall ecosystem. Like you, Jason, I get a little annoyed when I hear this quote-unquote affordable, you know, because affordable is relative to the person looking for a machine. If you have a certain budget, you know, say you're in the two to $300 range or whatever, 
you're probably not going to go and get a new machine for that price, even if it's Windows, with i3, i5, or i7 specs. That your best bet is to go to the used market. That's just the reality of it. Like you said, economy of scale. That's There's a reason you can go to eBay and spend a hundred bucks for like a ThinkPad T440S or something, but you're not getting the newest. You're getting six gen old hardware. So I find it a little disingenuous. Like we want Linux laptops and then they're offered and people are like, they're too expensive. And then they don't realize they're a niche market. As much as I love Linux, like you said, economy of scale. These guys don't buy in the quantity that a Lenovo or an Acer or you know a, a Dell do for components and stuff. They're much smaller. Yeah. So another thing to think about is that when you buy certain machines from certain companies, so actually, if you were to go to Slimbook and buy the KDE Slimbook that they just started offering, a portion of that purchase will actually go back to the KDE Foundation. And that's kind of nice. And you know what? Maybe they're bumping up the price just a little bit, but hey, it feels good to actually support the hardware maker and also support the distro or desktop environment that's being slapped onto that hardware. Yeah, such as like System76. So not only are you getting hardware that is built specifically for Linux, you if you call customer support because you have something wrong with it, you don't have to say put Windows back on it to try and get it fixed before sending it in for warranty repair or something like that. It's okay that it's running Linux and it's okay that it not may not be running Pop! OS. You're not going to lose your warranty on the hardware because of the software that you installed on that piece of hardware. It, like you mentioned, Wendy, the thing that I love about a lot of these Linux-specific OEMs, and this is where I don't think a lot of people take a look, is they're contributing back in some way, shape, or form, either with code or money or employee time or money and employee time, like System 76 case. Um, there are obviously other companies doing stuff like that. The the financial stuff pays for a lot of different aspects that I don't think people understand sometimes. It's not just about, oh, it's it pays a developer. Yeah, it pays a developer, but it also pays for the infrastructure of that project, of that, you know, like elementary getting kick, uh, kickbacks from some of their partners. It's, it's no different than when the these certain versions of like the PinePhone are being sold and yeah. certain projects are getting, you know, uh, post-market OS, the other one now it's Manjaro. Before that was UbiPorts. And each they're getting a certain portion of money contributed to their foundation or you know their project or whatever that can pay for a more another developer to work on it or the the lead developer to actually spend full time on it or it can lead to purchasing hardware so they have more hardware support. Like there is a lot of elements that I think sometimes in the community people really like like they just associate the price tag. And there's no other association whatsoever. And they they don't they don't look at like kind of the, I hate the term bigger picture, but they they don't look at the overall. And like you mentioned, and Jason, they don't mention look at the whole ecosystem. I think though that man, I'm torn on this one, Matt, because as time goes on and as Linux increases its desktop market share, I don't think that that's something we should expect Linux users to do. Right? We, a lot of us we want Linux to go mainstream. We want to see more adoption from your typical average PC user who doesn't need it for 
developing or web design or content production. They just want to browse. They just want to catch up on their email, stay close to friends on social media, do some web shopping, the occasional video conference, and they could get away with doing all that on like a Chromebook. To, to fill that gap on Chromebooks itself, if you didn't want one, Pine offers a fantastic option that way. And I think in, in one of the ways that you are going with that is I know budgets, especially in the homeschool community that I'm involved in, you have multiple children, they all need a laptop for doing different specific work, and that budget matters. And having hardware that's not going into the landfill, I think, is a great thing. So use hardware is perfect in those circumstances where, for one, it's not being sent to the trash, it's getting reused, it's getting repurposed. And you have multiple systems that are needed for multiple kids. Let me ask you this, Wendy. Is the Pinebook Pro, which is $199, it's an incredible deal for what you get. Is the Pinebook Pro something that you would hand your father or your grandmother or your typical PC user that's not very tech savvy? Yeah, yeah, my I have my in-laws on Linux and they are definitely not tech savvy at all. And I'm comfortable handing them um, a Pinebook, especially if it has the distro that they are currently running on it, or at least the, the current desktop environment on it so that they can, they already know how it works and how to get around. Because what they need, what my in-laws need is access to a browser where they can check their email, check some social media stuff, and then there has to be solitaire on it for my mother-in-law. So as long as we hit those two key things, <laughs> then we are golden. That's Absolutely awesome. Golden. It has to have solitaire. How many, <laughs> yes. I wonder how many solitaires are available via like Flatpak <laughs> or Snap. There's got to be at least two or three different versions of solitaire installed on their Linux system right now. So I'm not sure which one is her favorite. I need to ask, but there, there's at least one solitaire on there that she likes. In fairness to what I think, Jason, you're saying is you're talking about the generic consumer who's just going to get, they view computers as cars, get me to point A, from point A to point B, correct? Yes, I am. And and I, I think that even the process of buying the Pinebook Pro might be too complicated for many of them. It is. And that's part of the problem that I've run into this school year with the Pinebook Pro is um, you can only order one at a time. I need four. And so it's it's a little difficult to say, okay, I want to support this company and order um, these Pinebook Pros for the kids to use for school. But then that extra time to have to order each one separately, the additional shipping cost of having to order each one separately and the wait time to get them in makes it harder as a family group that needs this item now and for the reasons we need it for waiting a whole long time or making multiple orders makes doing so difficult to support the community in that way. Can I tell you guys what I would love to see? When you think about the companies that are really making headlines, it's System76, it's Tuxedo Computers, it's Dell, it's Lenovo, right? You can't go to System76 and buy a laptop for less than $1,000. And yet, they have this very Apple-like reputation in a good way. I'm talking about kind of old Apple, old, innovative, uh, forward-thinking Apple. High quality, too. High quality, exactly. Mm-hmm. Very high quality, really pushing the envelope in a lot of areas, very progressive. They don't offer anything 
under a thousand dollars. And I just wish that we could see a company with that kind of reputation and that kind of business. And yes, they do have a lot of business. They are very, very successful. Make a laptop that's targeting like the $400 to $600 market. It, we're in this weird thing. Cause like we're, uh, I think I, we were having the kind of this conversation when the other day, Jason, when, you know, sometimes we, we live in it so long like I Linux in this case, we're, you know, go buy a Windows machine, throw throw Linux on it, build a build a tower, put Linux, you know, whatever. However you want to get your Linux fix on for your computing, basically. And sometimes we get so fixated into it, we can't actually see outside the bubble. And it's not really that hard because it, most bubbles tend to be clear. It just might be a little hazy. <laughs> it's not hard to actually still see outside of it. I don't think a lot of people just want to see outside of it. I think you're absolutely right. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And that would be fantastic if System76 had a laptop that was in that more budget-friendly range. The It doesn't need to be super powerful. This isn't a work machine. It is just a day-to-day, get some things done, mostly through a browser-type machine. I would be all over that. Absolutely. Yeah, because, I mean, let's be honest. There is, okay, there is now four options, essentially, if you're looking at OEM specifically built Linux hardware to actually that's in that, that four to I'll, I'll give slim book because of the, the discrepancy in like currencies and stuff there, you know, that four to $700 range you have on the low end, you have, uh, was it the star Labs light three? I believe it is light Mark three. It's like they, they're 11 inch 11.6 inch machine. And then you have the two from Slimbook. And if you really want it, you can throw the Pinebook in there. So really you have four options as far as current OEM afford- affordable Linux hardware. This episode of DLN Extend is brought to you by Bitwarden. Bitwarden is the easiest, safest way for individuals, teams, businesses, and organizations to store their passwords. The fact that Bitwarden is not only open source, but has had third-party security testing done is one reason I have chosen to trust them with my passwords. On their blog, they have recently announced another third-party security review has been completed. They have the security assessment available for anyone to review. My favorite part of the report And I quote, no exploitable vulnerabilities were discovered. Thank you, Bitwarden, for offering such a feature-rich password manager and making security checks a priority. You can get started with a free account by going to bitwarden.com slash DLN. Want to support this open source project and help them continue to conduct third-party security audits? That support starts at only $10 a year. Jump over to bitwarden.com slash DLN to learn more. Well, Matt, you typically have a game for us, and it looks like the game you have for us goes right along the lines of being affordable. Well, yeah, because there's two types of ways you can play this game. This game is called Vengeance. It is inspired, plays very much like Call of Duty Modern Warfare, or Call of Duty 4 Modern Warfare. Sorry, let me rephrase. So it's not confused with the new Modern Warfare. (laughs) Um, this is a multiplayer game. It has a demo, which you're locked to two guns, and I believe it's two maps. So it's about a quarter of the game. The cool thing with this, though, is it's in that Call of Duty mind frame. So the one thing that Linux lacks, honestly, to me, is kind of those progression-based um, online shooters. Uh, you know, we have 
Counter-Strike and those kind of games, obviously, but the gameplay style of Call of Duty is very specific to that franchise. It's like trying to compare Battlefield with Call of Duty. They're very... <laughs> Battlefield can try to be Call of Duty all at once, but Battlefield is its own thing. Same with this. This reminded me of why I like certain games like this, because it, they can be competitive. They it, It's just a fun game because you can use bots, you can use multiple maps and it's full price game is eight dollars and then they give wow and they give you basically a quarter of the game with the demo or quote unquote for industry terms vertical slice Um, and that is really cool so they're giving you basically 25 percent of the game for free and the nice thing native on linux that makes it even better. And I love it when games offer demos because there's been quite a few games that I get that I'm like, this looks so awesome. Get to the gameplay and then realize, yeah, it's just, it's not what I was hoping it would be. And so demos make it much more likely that I will go ahead and purchase the game because I know how the gameplay works and if I like it. Yeah. You know what else I just noticed on the Steam page uh, is that... I don't know if this is a new development on Steam, but this is the first time I'm seeing it personally. Uh, the Steam page on the store, the store listing for this game on Steam says, want to have a direct chat with the developers? Join our Discord here. I didn't know that was a thing. That is very cool. Yeah, that, that is awesome. Because before Steam used to just link to like the developer's website or whatever. So if they integrated Discord stuff, that's, that's props to Steam for that. <laughs> I love this review. It's hard gunplay, but easy gameplay. No character BS, no bright pink guns that shoot lasers, just good old <laughs> hardcore shooting. That that is what I I love the like the the no nonsense nature of it sometimes. It's just a, it's a very solid game. And the fact that it's such a low price, it gives you the demo and it's native cuz we we've gotten some comments about oh well, you know, we talk a lot about Proton games. So, here's a native game that for those that are on the network we used to play ballistic overkill a lot like as a like community or like if it was michael and ryan you'd always see them streaming occasionally ballistic overkill ballistic overkill's official servers were killed off you still have user servers and stuff but this is one that's still going and bot support and just so much to like about this and i thought it was a really good pick for kind of the affordable aspect of the show this week and it lists as one of its key features no microtransaction microtransactions so there's a lot of these games that nickel and dime you along the way and i know zeb has talked about this as a sidebar (laughs) jason out of all the games you've played for free to play and you've been in the gaming industry warframe is probably the only one to actually do it right nope really nope Magic the Gathering Arena uh, also also does it right. I'm not saying that Warframe <laughs> doesn't, but uh, yeah, but Magic, Magic the Gathering too. Arena definitely does it right. No, the, the, basically what we're saying is there's no, in those particular games, there's no uh, paywall type deal. You can get everything. The, the, the gameplay aspect might seem like a grind, but... So, Wendy, what are some of your interests that you've been working on? Well, this week, I'm jumping back over to our discourse form. So inside the photography section of the discourse, we have had a member, Pragalmer. I'm sorry if I pronounced that wrong. I have no idea. But they're talking about their photography workflow on Linux. Distro is 
Manjaro KDE Plasma, Linux user after my own heart. Photo management is Digicam, Raw Photo Editor, Darktable, Fine Tuning, and GIMP, and then doing any graphics work, Inkscape. So, you know, me and this community member have a lot of the things that are the same, except for when it comes to Digicam. And they were talking about they need to sort through hundreds of thousands of photos. They want to go by year, month, be able to rename them. And not only after they rename them, but when they go back into Dark table, they want that XML file that is attached to the picture to also be renamed at the same time. So if you've done any work in Darktable, go back into your file folders, you'll see an XML file that follows it. And inside that XML file, it lists all of the edits and changes that you've done to that file. And the wonderful thing about Digicam, apparently, especially with this user, is if they rename that file the XML file that goes with it also inside of Digicam is also renamed. So when you go back into Darktable, all of that information travels with it. It would suck to spend a whole lot of time doing a major edit on an image, go back and need to rename it and lose all of that editing or have to refind that XML file. And Another member suggested that, you know, sometimes Darktable won't pull in that new information automatically and they give a terminal command in order to fix that. But you can also do that directly inside Darktable preferences. So they've changed around a lot of the settings and file menus. So it took me a minute to refind this setting. But if you go to storage, there is an XMP section and it can look for an updated XME files at startup. So every time it starts Darktable, it will look for those files with all of that information, make sure that if there's any new ones, that that is updated and inside, which is another great thing if you have, like in my case, all of the files that I have are on a separate drive. I don't keep my working files on my main boot drive. They're on a different media drive. So if for any reason, I'm needing to swap things out or change things around using this look for updated files as I'm dragging and dropping different folders into it of, okay, I didn't need this before. It's on the backup, backup drive. Now I'm pulling it up to my working drive. It's going to look for those new files. And I always have the latest edits at disposable at disposal. No, that's really cool. Um, I, I always enjoy hearing how you end up actually using, you know, everything as it relates to the photography stuff, because it, it makes me want to actually get into doing some of it as opposed to, hey, it looks good, sort of. <laughs> I've had quite a few people blame me for them buying a camera, just like people chew you out for, oh my gosh, I bought this game because of you. It's been, oh my gosh, I listened to Hardware Addicts and now I have this really cool camera and I'm loving it, which, you know, I don't want to make people spend money, but I love the fact that people have went from just using their cell phone to having a camera camera in hand and seeing what extra creativity they can have and do and make not only great images, but additional lasting memories that can go with them. Well, I guess in fairness, Jason, you like to call me Matt the enabler. I guess we can say Wendy <laughs> is an enabler too. In my own right. I for, I... One, I for one appreciate all enablers, especially those of hardware and video games. So yeah, and music. Yeah. And music. Yeah, and Matt, that's definitely helped on the music side for us too. I would never point you to 4,000 video game songs ever. 
Never. Yeah, yeah, totally, never. Totally Which did. Which made my daughter so stinking happy. <laughs> <laughs> Sonic and all of them. And all of them, yes. I just want to say that the best video game soundtrack remains Jet Set Radio. Thank you very much. Ooh. I am not familiar with that. I will have to look it up. Ooh, that's a tough one for me. Ugh. I would probably actually. I'm, mine's probably really, really out there. I'd probably say Shadow Hearts Covenant. It's uh, kind of a steampunk vibe to it. So, like, imagine all- that. It's an well. Actually, this one's an alternate, like World War One kind of, but mixed with like mysticism and stuff. It's really, really kind of cool. Wonderful. Thank you, Matt, the enabler. Now I'm going to have to check that one out. <laughs> Totally welcome. Well, Jason, what are you enabling this week? I'm enabling, well, I'm enabling two things that I don't know if anybody hears me talk about. Fitness. (laughs) Fitness and podcasts that aren't about Linux, believe it or not. Heresy. Um, I know. I know. (laughs) I've been just trying to get outside my my comfort zone a little bit, you know? Uh, So the first thing is my wife had started doing this thing called My Virtual Mission. And she got me hooked on it as well. What it is, uh, it's basically a fitness challenge that you pay for. You do have to pay for it, but I'll tell you why in a second. And every time that you do any kind of physical activity, you know, it's a a run, a swim, biking, even just walking outdoor, even just taking a walk outside, you can track your distance, right? Your mileage, your, your kilometers, and then you can add it to your virtual mission. And, and what this is, is you start out by saying, okay, I'm going to virtually travel the Grand Canyon or the Inca Trail or uh, uh, the Missouri River, you know, things like that. And so you add your distance and what your activity was. And then once you do that, you can look at where you are on this virtual map of that destination, right? Of that, of that journey and get like a 360 view of where you are. So... Sometimes, you know, like um, once I ended up, I don't know, I was 30, 20, 20 or 30 kilometers in and I was at the summit uh, at the Inca Trail and I looked around and it was just gorgeous. And they send you these virtual postcards from yourself with little factoids and photos about that, uh, that trail or that river or that landmark, right? And they also send you a medal when you have completed the virtual mission. So you get through, I don't know, all uh, 50 kilometers of, you know, virtually swimming the English Channel, and they send you this high quality medal. I mean, it is it is something to hang up and display. It makes you feel really, really proud that you accomplished that. And so they have a bunch of these different missions. Uh, it's, it's at myvirtualmission.com. And I've been really hooked on that because it's making me want to get out and exercise and, and try and, you know, get healthier. And while I'm doing that, <laughs> I started listening to uh, a completely different kind of podcast than I have ever experienced. And I think it was one of the Linux for Everyone patrons who recommended this. It's called Mission to Zix. Well, what's it about? Have you guys heard of it? No, Mission, I have never no, heard of this. Mission to Zix. And they're on XYXX. And they're on their fourth season now. This is really hard to describe. It's essentially an improvised space opera sitcom in podcast oh, form. Wow. And so they start out with this basic, uh, you know, they're diplomats going to, they're diplomats for like the Federated Alliance. And they're going on these um, diplomatic missions to various planets and meeting, you know, aliens and strange cultures. And they're all just completely dysfunctional people. And you've got your, you know, your sarcastic droid. And it's very much like, 
it's very much kind of a, a parody of Star Wars and Star Trek, but it's done so well that like I would I would watch this on TV. It sounds so professional, but it's almost all improvised and it's hilarious. Um, I was listening to the first couple episodes in the car and I actually had to turn it off because I was laughing so hard that I could not concentrate on the road. <laughs> And it's just, it's brilliant. It's brilliant and inventive and uh, really, really entertaining. And so, you know, each each podcast is based, each episode is basically like an episode. It's one adventure. And they've got, uh, they even, their sponsors that they have, they even do the sponsors with, they do that in character. Really just from like start to finish, it is such a polished, great production. So Mission to Zix, Z-Y-X. And that takes amazing talent to do story improv live. I know some of my favorite actors, one reason why I love them so much is because they're so quick on their feet and so witty that they can improv things like this. So even though I am not a Star Wars and a Star Trek fan, which I hear multiple times from Ryan and Michael how I need to be kicked off the team because I'm not a Star Wars (laughs) or Star Trek fan, but this definitely has me intrigued. you don't have to be um, a Star Wars or Star Trek fan to to appreciate this. To it's, enjoy it. It's basically it's sci-fi, right? But you'll you'll notice the the tropes or you know the, the certain kind of default characters that you would see in these in these movies and shows. Yeah. But uh, you're not gonna you're not gonna lose anything by not having watched Star Trek or Star Wars. Awesome! I will definitely check it out because that sounds like so much fun. I spend a lot of time in the car. How how, how long are these episodes, Jason? Just out of curiosity. Uh, Twenty. 22 minutes or so like like it's uh, the episode oh nice. not bad wow yeah, yeah that is awesome i speaking of being an enabler yeah more podcast stuff i have to listen to <laughs> hopefully we've given you a lot to think about in this episode and we'd like to continue the conversation with you on telegram discourse mumble or even discord you can visit the DLN website for info on how to connect to us via all the social channels that we have and also get information on all of our shows and the show's creators at destinationlinux.network. And you can find me at Kill Your FM on Twitter, the Linux for Everyone Telegram group, and Forbes among way too many other places. You can find Nate's information at cubiclenate.com. Links to his regular written blatherings, podcast, and YouTube channel are all there. And you can find my random ramblings on Twitter at MattDLM. You can find me on Instagram at Linux and Lifts. As always, we thank you for joining us. We'll be back next week with another fantastic episode of DLN Extend. Until then, have a great week, everyone.